Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama students and teachers. I'm Nick Waxman, here with my knowledgeable co-host Elia Rez, and today's topic, Elizabethan theatre. Uh, uh, don't you mean English Renaissance theatre? Uh, yes, but we're going to be calling it Elizabethan theatre from here on in. Well, that might upset a few historians. Well, they don't call me Nick the Historian upset a Waxman for nothing. Well, that's true. This week's topic, Elizabethan theatre. In ten minutes. That's the plan. Okay, let's get to it. The theatrical period between 1562 and 1642 in England is commonly known as the Elizabethan Theatre Age. Queen Elizabeth died in 1603, decades before the Elizabethan theatrical period ended, so you may see it referred to generally as Renaissance Theatre, Jacobean Theatre after James I, or really, Caroline Theatre after Charles I. Queen Elizabeth I banned religious preaching and drama in 1558, allowing secular drama to flourish. During the Christmas period in 1561, the first play using blank verse was performed for Queen Elizabeth. The play was called The Tragedy of Gerbodok. And so began Elizabethan theatre. For theatre in England to become a permanent and lasting feature, it needed structured performance spaces. We give thanks to a carpenter, who was also an actor, named James Burbage. He built the first permanent theatre and called it... The Theatre! Theatre comes from the Greek word meaning behold, or a place for seeing. Fun fact, Burbage, who built this theatre, had two sons. One was named Richard Burbage. He was one of the best-known actors of the time. After the success of Burbage's theatres, many other joined him and built theatres of their own. Here are some of the theatres that popped up. The Curtain, The Rose, The Swan, The Globe, The Fortune and The Hope. In another not-so-coincidence, Philip Henslow owned and supported some of these theatres. His daughter Joan married the other best-known actor of the Elizabethan age, Edward Allen. So now we have the basic background, let's get down to some of the unique characteristics. The actors on the Elizabethan stage were all male. Young boys were chosen to play the young female roles because of their physique, voice, lithe movements, and the men played the older women. Did anyone play the men? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. <laughs> the young boys were mentored by the older actors so they could authentically play roles such as Juliet or Desdemona. Actors were musicians, dancers, singers, and entertainers. They were multi-skilled, and they used these skills throughout the varied performances. The actors were able to present works thanks to their patrons, noblemen who supported their work. Actors were still considered vagabonds and rogues, though, a threat to society. Shakespeare and Richard Burbage belonged to Lord Chamberlain's men, while Edward Allen belonged to the Admiral's men. Each patron had their own agreement with the actors. Some shared profits and others paid salaries. No actors' equity then. Not yet. No. The costumes worn by the actors were contemporary and often gifted by patrons to their actors. This meant that the costumes were often elaborative, decorative and exciting for the audience to behold. There is actually not very much information on the design of the theatres. There are some descriptions and one sketch that survives... So here is a brief description of what you probably would have seen. The globe was a hexagonal structure with an inner court about 15 metres wide. It was three storeys high and had no roof. The open courtyard and three semicircular galleries could together hold more than 1,500 people, with another 1,500 on the outside watching and listening. Cool. The main stage was a rectangular platform projecting into the audience, often referred to as a thrust stage. 
The inner stage was at the rear of the performance space and represented indoor scenes. There was a curtain that could be closed for scene changes. There was also a trapdoor that actors could use as an exit or entrance. Behind the stage was a tiring house, the three-storey section of the playhouse that contained the dressing rooms, the prop room, the musicians' gallery and connecting passageways. The players often call for one character to be eavesdropping from behind a curtain or a door. The tiring house was used in this case as well, because it was at the very, very rear of the stage, even further back than the inner stage, and there was a tiny room hidden by a set of drapes. There was also a balcony, think Romeo and Juliet, and above that a music gallery. The globe had a canopy called Heavens, and they were beautifully painted. A flag flew atop a flagpole. It was a signal to all that the play would be staged today. A trumpeter would announce the beginning of the play. The flag continued to wave until the end of the performance. A bit like an on-air sign. No, we should get one of those. Actually, stop people bursting in midway through. (laughs) Uh, No one knew exactly when they would see the flag again, for the Elizabethan theatre community lived in uncertain times, and they were at the mercy of harsh weather, plague, and puritanical government officials. The Elizabethan playhouses were in the round, where the audience could see the performance from almost every angle, and scenery could not be changed in between scenes because there was no curtain to drop. This is why most scenes end with the actors walking off or being carried off the stage. If the play required a a change of place in the next scene, most times the actors would not leave the stage at all, and it would be up to the audience to imagine the change had occurred. It often was in the language, inherent in the language. They were really clear when they described when they'd moved on. that's right. Uh, Props and sets were representational. A tree, a well, an ornate chair or a cannon would be used to denote the location. Shakespeare is their most well-known playwright, and there is no doubt that you will study his many works. But other names, such as Christopher Marlowe and Ben Jonson, are worth knowing. Marlowe was stabbed in the eye during a bar fight. If not for his death, he may well have become as famous as the Bard. Shakespeare is called the Bard because Bard means poet, and he is considered the greatest poet of all time by many. William Shakespeare was actually not very well respected by his peers. Shakespeare was not university educated, and he was referred to as a hack writer. Oh, dear. Just like me. (laughs) You've got links to all the great artists. You never know. One day. One day. (laughs) Iambic pentameter was also very popular. So let's break down what that means. An iambic foot is an unstressed syllable followed by a stressed one. Da-dum. Pent meaning five, and meter being the style of writing. So iambic means two, pent means five, together that makes... Um, Twelve? Yeah, I mean seven, could be five and two makes seven. Two two times five is ten. ten. My maths is actually not too bad. So it's da-dum, 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 da-dum. You don't need to insult me. Oh, sorry. I am... I am passionate about gardening. Or, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks. Ah, I get it now. Playhouses were very protective of their plays and kept them guarded. This is why Shakespeare's plays were not published until after his death and why different versions of his works exist. The plays are full of references, words and phrases that are unique to the Elizabethan period. And it is vital that when reading any of these plays that you have a reference guide with you or a script that has detailed annotations on the page. I like to use Shakespeare for dummies. I use Arden Shakespeare or uh, No Fear Shakespeare, which is online and free, but not all the plays are 
are on No Fear Shakespeare. Very good. The Elizabethan theatre eventually moved indoors or to private theatres for smaller audiences of a higher class. Quality backdrops and elegant staging became popular on these stages. Acting became slightly more subtle and Shakespeare's plays were less popular here, with Ben Jonson, a new playwright, becoming more popular with the aristocracy. However, the large outdoor theatres were still quite popular. In 1642, civil war broke out and the Puritans won their battle against the theatre. Actors were encouraged to join the army or do something useful with their lives. <laughs> Eventually, all theatres were ordered to be demolished and actors were threatened with being whipped or ordered to pay five shillings if they performed. Shows continued in secret, but the actors were arrested and their theatres destroyed. So... From 1562 to 1642, that's the clear period of Elizabethan theatre. Well, Renaissance theatre. Oh, look, call it what you will. Uh, also, another thing to add actually about iambic pentameter that we didn't mention is supposedly uh, it is, it's supposed to replicate the human heartbeat. Da-dum, 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 da-dum. So it's cool to think about how it, you can really embody Shakespeare's language with the use of the heartbeat. Cool. But soft, what light. You get it. Yep. For tips using Shakespeare in the classroom, listen to the episode we were lucky enough to record with John Bell, one of Australia's most esteemed Shakespearean practitioners. But that's all we have time for on the aside. Uh, thanks to Aaron Searle for providing the music and, of course, Eltham College for letting us record here. There are a range of episodes in our bank, so feel free to listen to one that grabs your attention. Do not hesitate to email us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. Send us a question and we might be able to answer it in a future podcast. Thanks for listening. 